Welcome to the Peelcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, and I am currently sitting in a pair of socks and, and other clothes, by the way, not just socks. And I want to tell you that this is the, the podcast that, you know, people are going to say, oh, you know, there might be other podcasts that are really interesting about gear or survival training or all the other stuff that I do. And I always tell people like, look, you know, you, you, there's some basics that you got to cover before you go out in the field. And, and one of them is, you know, take care of your feet. So here's a, a quick little tale about this guest that I've got on. In 2015, I, I 2015 or late or early 2016, I'm walking around the Harrisburg Great American Outdoor Show. And a buddy of mine is like, oh, you got to go check out that operation. And I check him out and, you know, we start talking and the owner of the company, he and his wife were like, oh, we'll take care of you when you go up to Alaska. And they did with their product and their product to this day, I, I swear by it. Whenever I do like my Sunday questions or ask me a question throughout the week, people will say, what are the best socks? And I'm like, without fail, Buffalo Wool Company. And they'll say, well, why do you believe that? And I can tell you, and I'm going to tell you throughout the podcast, these are my favorite, but I'm going to let the owner tell you. And it's a really interesting company with regard to how they do it, how they got started, all the different things that they branched off into. Uh, I mean, Glover wears the socks. I mean, he, you know, if you know Glover, he shows his toes a lot, which his toes are like my toes. They're kind of weird in that like he could probably hang upside down by his feet. So I like it when he shows his toes covered and they're usually in the Buffalo wool socks. So with that really long overdrawn introduction, that's a little strange because I'm highly, highly caffeinated right now. I present to you my guest today, Ron Miskin of the Buffalo Wool Company. Ron, how are you doing, buddy? I am doing great, sir. And it is wonderful to hear that you're wearing other clothes in addition to the socks. You know, listen, there's a time when you, you know, the lighting is just right and you just want to stand in front of the mirror in all your glory. You know what I mean? Like maybe the lighting covers or maybe it shows depending on how, how in shape you feel. But, you know, if you wear socks, you know, that's that's the way true players roll, you know, just socks. There you go. Oh, I love it, man. And, and, it's awesome to talk to you here. Yeah, man. And if, I'll tell you, there are times when you need to wear three socks. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's good It's good to well, talk to you. we sell three packs. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. So, I'm trying to remember the last time we saw each other. It was pre-COVID, right? It has been It has been way too long. I sit and watch your videos and things. But, no, we have not gotten together in, in a long time. But, you know, we go back a ways. You, you were there pretty much when we got started. And... You know, I, I know you said the, the Alaska trip, but I, I swear we met you a year or two before that, even just walking through the show. I don't remember. You know, it, I think it actually was because now that I think back, I went to uh, British Columbia in 2015 and I had Buffalo wool socks on for that one. And that was in April of 2015. So I want to say it was it was before then. I'll have to look through the, the email. Well, you were still teaching and yeah, it was it was quite a while ago. But yeah, we, we have a little bit of history and. We appreciate and love everything you do. Oh my God. Well, th the same is true of you guys. I mean, I love the fact that you are harnessing a product, which is so incredible. People don't realize how incredible it is. And I want to give you guys a chance to kind of talk about it. But then I also, for the sake of the, the listeners who are interested in starting their own business, like you have lessons when it comes to being entrepreneurs and branching out into this community or into this industry that is already highly saturated with with companies that have been around forever, you know, and you're making a name for yourself in a, in a market where it's very difficult to make a name for yourself. So I always like bringing on folks like you who have this success story to then share your knowledge with the listener who might be interested in doing something very similar. So, you know, 
I know people are going to be like, oh, it sounds like a giant advertisement for socks. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I'm sorry. We, we won't do that. Yeah, it's it's not going to be that. Starting a business. Yeah, I mean, like the, the success story that you have is an advertisement in of itself. But then also, I mean, you just make a good product. So it is what it is. I mean, let's just talk about your early beginning. So let's let's start there. You well, start Buffalo Wool Company. Is it... I don't even. I don't even think I even asked you this ever. Like, was, it was a second career, right? It was. Um, T, my wife and business partner, actually the boss, is sitting here in as well. We started this somewhat accidentally, and we really we didn't know what what we were going to do. It wasn't. This wasn't. We're going to come out and be the greatest sock company in the world. We had a resource. We actually had access to American bison fiber. My father had started working with with ranchers and and processors to try and start harvesting this this fiber that we knew is beautiful. It's got a great history. You've seen a bison in the snow. They'll just get crusted over with ice because their body heat can't escape through this insulation. It's extremely efficient. It's soft. It's comfortable. But we didn't when we started out, we had no idea really what to do with it. When we first started, our product originally was what they call roving which is basically just cleaned and dehaired bison fiber for hand spinning. Again, we didn't know the first thing about making a sock or a glove or what have you, or even about spinning yarn. So we really just started selling the fluff. And as we learned how to take that fluff and twist it into yarn and blend it with other fibers to, to you know increase or enhance different properties, then we learned how to knit and actually make socks ourselves. So you learn what works and what doesn't, what's, comfortable what makes it more durable all the different things but you know starting with a great resource that's not readily available on the market that's what gave us a leg up it wasn't knowing anything what makes it so great i mean because there's alpaca socks and then there's uh, merino wool socks and when people say to me they're like well what, what makes it so great because just because from a buffalo and i'm like listen there's there are attributes to the fibers and i can't go deep in the weeds with it but i know you can and i will say that they just they stay warmer even when they're wet. Uh, can you go into like the 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 properties? Sure. No, that's again. It's 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 a really interesting fiber. It's very fine. It's actually finer than cashmere. 16, 19 microns for the down. And bison. Before we get into that, bison have actually five different types of fiber, five different kinds of hair on their body. The one we primarily use for the the soft next to the skin products is what we call the down fiber. It's their undercoat. And it's a very fine fiber, like I said, 16, 19 microns, much finer than than most other fibers. And it's very crimpy. It's got a lot of kinks and twists and bends in it. So when you twist it into a yarn, all those little kinks and twists and bends become air pockets. And it's those air pockets that give you the insulation, not the fiber itself. Mm -hmm. The reason it's more effective and efficient than other natural fibers is the amount of crimp, the, you know, the number of kinks and such. And the durability, it's a solid, smooth protein. It doesn't have barbs like sheep's wool does. It's not hollow like some of the, the super fancy fibers. So it doesn't collapse when you throw it in the washer and dryer. It, it doesn't felt up like when you, you know, wash a wool sweater and it turns into a little doll sweater. So it's just, it's durable, it's comfortable, and it's really efficient. You think about the environment that a bison lives in. They're not afraid of living in places like Delta Junction, Alaska that get down to negative 80. And they don't have a ton of this fiber on their body. Typical sheep, you shear a sheep, you'll get 15 to 20 pounds of wool. You shear a whole bison, you'll get about two pounds of, of total fiber. And then when you scour it, wash it, and then dehair it, separate the coarser fibers from that fine soft down, 
you end up with six to eight ounces per buffalo. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> That's not a lot. You know, I'm, I'm looking up right now because I want to claim to be this like great historical mind. And, you know, I taught history, but I can't recall exact figures and whatnot off the top of my head. And I just looked it up right here and it said, you know, the population of Buffalo in the 18th century was in excess of 60 million. And my guy, John over here, you know, who does our, our social media, he showed me a picture recently and it said, never trust the government. And it was the photo of the guy standing on all the, the Buffalo, the bison head. And it looks like 500, a little over 500 animals by 1889 were all that were left in yeah, the wild. Depends on who you read, somewhere between, you know, 20 and 1,000. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not many. So this is the greatest comeback story in history, but, you know. In, in your process, it's just removing the hair, right? Like you're not, I mean, you, how do you, how do you acquire bison, right? Like, are they, are they wild? Are they, is this something that you have to, you have oh, to, no, no. to rope? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm completely, I am completely ignorant when it comes to this whole process. I mean, okay, you can no, see no, put, fair, fair point. And yeah. We are, we are a byproduct of the meat industry. These come from ranch raised animals. Okay. And one of the, the neat things about the comeback story in general is it was a commercial process. This was not, bison have not made the comeback that they have due to sticking them in a few parks. It's because ranchers have opened their, their land and, and actually started cultivating and raising bison. That's why we're up to half a million right now. But our, our process is, is a byproduct of the meat industry. We, we shear the, the hides when they're, when they're being processed. So it's obviously before, right? Before they go to the, the butcher. No, it's after. Oh, it's after they go to the butcher. Yes. We do, we, do some, we do harvest some naturally shed fiber from some ranches and such. Mm -hmm. It's a little more difficult to process. And that's actually how we got started out was just picking it up off the fence and blackberry bushes around our ranch because they shed this fiber out in the spring. But bison has become a, a very good meat source, and it's it's doing quite well. And instead of burning the hair off to tan leather and or cheering it off and ending in a landfill, we've decided to make use of it and not waste this this resource. Sort of that respect the animal by using every part. You know, I'm looking right now at, at some pictures of of bison, and the part that you're actually using, like there are some pretty mangy looking ones out on the on the frontier. You're actually using those clumps that are coming off, right? Like not the not the exactly. actual coat. Exactly. That That's the undercoat that you see when they're shedding off. They grow it out every year. They shed it out in the spring. And we still harvest as much of that as we can. But yeah, that's that's what we're using is that, that soft climb down. You know, I've got a confession. I got to say, one of my guilty pleasures is the Instagram account, Nature is Metal. And they, uh -huh. they usually show some pretty good bison footage of tourists that decide, oh, I'm just going to go up to this animal that is you know, part bear, part goatee Viking, part thoroughbred horse and you snap a photo right in its face. Cause you know, that's not annoying or anything. And then the bison just goes bison. Like, I'm not going to say bison go crazy because they're just doing what they do, but the bison goes bison. And next thing you know, the tourists, you know, with their little legs go flying in the air. Like, I love those videos. Um, <laughs> they're I, not domesticated animals. And that's sort of the beauty of them is they are still pretty much what they were 10,000 years ago. They are not, they have not been bred to be stupid. They have not been bred to, uh, you know, just, just sit there and eat and gain weight. They actually, it's, it's when you get into actual, you know, the, the raising and learn you're, you, they don't use the hormones and antibiotics and steroids that they do have to use in cattle raising. These are really natural animals and you let them be natural, but the kids that go up and want to put their, you know, six year old next to them to take a picture that's not really very bright. We, and that's that's one of the reasons we we 
discontinued our live harvest shearing process. We've had some offers from a large rancher to come out to my place and shear all you want. That's not safe for anybody. You, <laughs> yeah. like, and, you know, the guy standing on the other side of the fence. It's just not a good idea. I mean, when they so, get to, to full grown, how much are these things weighing? Bulls can get 20, you know, 2,000, 2,200 pounds. There's reports of some 3,000 pound bulls, but some of those are, that's kind of myth, but you know, they're, they're every bit of a ton, you know, with the power of a freight train. You know, I'm just looking right here. The Kia Forte weighs 2,900 pounds. (laughs) Like you're dealing with an animal that's almost as heavy as some small cars. I I have seen one throw an F-250. Okay. Tell the story. How, what what is that? (laughs) It's just some, somebody going up to the feed truck and they weren't unloading hay fast enough. Flip the truck. Jesus. Yeah. They're, they are powerful animals. But they're beautiful and they're incredibly beneficial to the land. In terms of grazing habits, they don't destroy the land like American cattle do. Mm-hmm. They don't eat grass to the roots. They, when they wallow and pick up, you know, when they're they're rolling in the dirt, they're picking up grass seeds. And then when they're traveling, they spread them other places. Their naturally shedding fluff provides homes for ground birds. You know, the quail, the pheasant. They're just really good for the land. You need large ungulates actually out there chewing up and digesting the, the the prairie grasses, the cellulose and things, and redepositing it into absorbable nutrients back into the soil. Yeah, these things are incredible. I'm looking right now, and, and I tend to do this on podcasts. I have my laptop pulled up, and I just pull things up that are of interest. And I don't know how I just got down this rabbit hole, but suddenly I, I found buffalo fur coats and like men's <laughs> buffalo yeah. fur coats. And, and the dudes that are in there, like – they're they're modern guys but they look like leonardo dicaprio and the revenant and i think i need one of these so if there's like a like a sugar mama out there that wants to send me one of these buffalo wool coats i will totally rock i'll wear that thing in the damn summer like this thing is (laughs) awesome like we can make you a coat sir uh, dude if you if you made me a coat like this oh my god i swear to god i would wear that thing to the airport with giant like j-lo shades and i would hire a whole bunch of people like big dudes to be like no no no, he can't take he he can't take a photo right now (laughs) like people would have no idea who i am and i'm brown enough where i could look like some you know foreign dude but uh dude this is crazy so (laughs) like all right so i'm still i'm still not sold on this idea of like you and Teresa. Like, what's the discussion like as a couple when you're like, hey, we're doing this? Because what was the job that you guys were doing before? And you've jumped, you know, both feet into the the deep end here with doing all Buffalo Wool. Like, how did you guys make that decision? When did you know that it was, this is a thing? When did we know it was a thing? Oh, hey, Teresa, how you doing? (laughs) Well, you've heard the joke that, you know, behind every good rancher is a wife that works in the city. Well, I was still working my full-time job. Ron had, and his dad had jumped off into it, and I was still working my job and pulling 40 hours and three days and jumping on a plane to fly to go sell, you know, Buffalo stuff and then flying home and back at my desk at Monday morning at, you know, 6.30 in the morning so I could go back out and do it the following weekend. Um, that's kind of when we really realized. Yeah, it wasn't overnight. Again, the whole thing started as what was called the Brown Hair Project. Okay. And just just trying to figure out what to do with it. And like T said, you know, I was, I had retired from, I had restaurants and sold those and I was working for my father's wood grinding company. And T was still working as a housing counselor. Mm-hmm. And again, when, when this, when we hit the market with this and we're able, started able to, to 
deliver consistent, clean quality bison fiber, people went nuts. And again, we didn't have any products at that time. We literally just had fluff. But the number of crafters that went, oh my gosh, this is delicious and it works and it's comfortable. And so that that sort of started it. And then there were a couple of little milestones along the way. We had a, um, a yarn shop in middle of Tennessee. That, Gatlinburg. In Gatlinburg. We were selling, We at this point, we'd evolved into to spinning and selling yarn. And they started, knit, she had a yarn shop on one side of the building and her husband had a fly fishing shop on the other side. She started knitting fingerless gloves for fly fishing. People realized how well it wicks, how well it, it doesn't lose its insulating value when it gets wet. And so all of a sudden, we had something that actually worked using it that was sort of specific. And we found a glove knitter in upstate New York and started making gloves. And yeah. that was our first product. That was that was funny. We, we called her to find out what she was doing to sell so much yarn and what could we do to, you know, take those cells across the country and this she told us what she was doing and then they literally bugged us to start making gloves for them they were tired of knitting hand knitting gloves yeah those, those were the, all being done by hand yeah the original no the not the ones we sold but the right, ones that right. they were selling so again we found a glove knitter and learned how to make gloves That's and that cool. was a that was a fairly big step and that was about when Teresa decided that she needed to come join us full-time take over as ceo that's outstanding yeah and you guys I mean, you've lived a pretty active lifestyle. Like I'm, I'm just messing around on, on your page right now, but I remember we've crossed paths a lot of times, like just ships passing in the night, like, like, oh, we're leaving Alaska. Oh, I'm going to Alaska. Or, <laughs> you know, I'll be here. Oh, we just left there. Like, like you guys are pretty involved in the great outdoors. So you know what is needed by the outdoorsman, right? Like you've gone fishing a bunch of times. And I know, I remember you posted one photo of, of pulling up, I forgot what kind of fish it is, but it's the red one in Alaska that like the eyeballs pop out when you pull it up from the depths. Oh yeah. The, the uh, yellow eyed rockfish. Yeah, yeah. The rockfish, which it's a delicious fish. I've had it at, at Mark Knapp's house. Uh, and I'll say that it's almost better than, than halibut, but when you pull it up, it's, it's butt ugly. Um, <laughs> they're, they're fun. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we've always traveled. We've always done stuff. T's a wildlife photographer. So she drags me to crazy places to sit in the middle of the night to wait for, you know, sea turtles, aurora lights, whatever it is. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we have, we have traveled a fair bit and then doing, doing this the last, you know, 12 years in the road, you learn how to pack and, and load, you know, that you know that you don't want to take 30 pair of socks for a month trip, that if you can get away with three or four, you're, you're all the better. So most of what we've designed is literally stuff we want. I'm a wimp. I don't want to be cold when I'm out there standing in a river. Mm -hmm. Trekkers were designed. We were standing in the in the glacier stream salmon fishing and going, wow, we really need a nice thick sock to do these waders. <laughs> and that's how we came up with those. And then I'm like, well, they'd be great in the barn in my mug boots, you know, when you're out there doing your muck work and all the things. So, yeah, we, we design them based on what we're doing. Yeah, let's talk about those trekkers for a second because when I when I did my trip to Alaska in 2016 and that was the the five week one where I was there for, for two weeks down part of the state and then the last three were floating on the on the sag. I remember I had three or I think I had three or four pair of the trekker socks with me and I got in the habit of, you know, keeping one pair as like an absolute emergency set in a Ziploc bag that I kept like very close to my my chest pack. And I was like, if I ever go in the drink and my feet get super wet and I got to get a pair of dry socks on, I've got those. And in retrospect, I probably should have had like, you know, some baby powder or something to like really dry off my feet quickly, you know. But um, 
But those Trekker socks, normally when you travel, I, I tell people like, look, you need to do the wear one and wash one. You know, you wear something and then at night you're washing the other and you're letting it dry and then you wear the other one in the morning. So you're, you can get by with two outfits, you know, when you're traveling or you're in the backcountry. And usually I can do that. I can wear socks like two or three days before they start matting down, you know, like where they, they feel like they're, they're now mixed with like, I don't know, like concrete, you know, where the, right. the, the fiber on the bottom is starting to like really, really mat down and not provide any insulation. And I would rotate the socks and every once in a while, like my feet would get wet and I'd, I'd rinse them out and I'd, I'd dry them and I'd put them near the fire and dry them out. Um, but I mean, I went three weeks with two pairs of socks because I never opened up that, that third pair that was in that uh, emergency Ziploc. And I think that's one of the the true testaments why I'm an advocate for those those socks. Like if you value your feet, like I know it says, you know, Trekker socks, like from 44 bucks. I'm like, look, you've got 10 toes. Most people do. That's like four point or four dollars and 40 cents per toe insurance, <laughs> you know, that your feet are going to be warm. Yeah, you just you just came up with a new marketing plan there. Four, All right, bucks, well, four bucks a toe. Four bucks a toe. You know, I'll, I'll take royalties, you know, um, but uh but yeah, like I, I swear by those damn socks. And then like there, there's just other things that I that I like about them. And I think you're really smart with where you're putting the the padding because there are some folks out there that'll say, you know, the only socks I need are ragwool socks, right? Like die diehard hikers. I just need two pairs of ragwool socks. And the ragwool is the same uniform consistency padding fabric from toe to the opening. But some of the socks that you have are a blend and they'll stretch where they need to stretch and they've got more padding where they need to pad. And you just came out with the Kenai ones, which were those born of a trip to the Kenai Peninsula? Yes, actually. That was, that is exactly where they came from. And and truthfully though, the the sock had been sort of in development for, for a while beforehand. It's, it's sort of a modification of a military style and that's, that's the reason for it. But my God, is it a great fishing sock? Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm looking at them right here. Because it really goes back to what is your day, what is your activity, and what is the boot? And, you know, you're fly fishing. The water's not that deep. It's not that cold. It's a beautiful day. And, you know, you just need to keep the base of your feet warm and dry. So it's it's, it's really about what's your day and what's your activity. Yeah. One of the things with us is we also, my God, we, we listen to people like yourself. And, you know, you come back and tell us what, what you're looking for in and it's like, we never planned to have more than two styles. We now have 14 and two new ones coming out this year and a line of kids' socks. I'm real excited about, got to plug those. But it's it's only because of people like you that come back and say, all right, I need something more fitted. I need something with a little bit more arch support. I need something with a lacing pad up on the front. I need something lighter, heavier. It's, it's everybody everywhere, you know, from a snake boot to a fishing boot to safari boots. Yeah. There's a a lot of varieties of activities. It it blows my mind when someone will spend, especially like custom boot guys, right? Like guys that will spend, you know, upwards of a grand on a pair of boots or $500 on a pair of custom boots. And then they throw on a pair of like white cotton socks. It's like, I I remember there was a a comedian that said years ago, he's like, white socks are for farmers. And I was like, oh, I got to remember that one. Like, why not? If you're going to have a good pair of boots, put on a good pair of socks and it's like having a Lamborghini and driving at 50 miles per hour in the slow lane, you know, and then having little old ladies that are driving the slow lane passing you, like, what are you doing? You've got a car that's got so much more potential, you know, or, you know, having a high-end car and putting 87 octane in when you probably should be putting the super grade, you know, like, I, I think if you spend enough time on your feet, you understand the value of a good pair of socks, but you guys don't just do the socks. And you mentioned the gloves. 
I wear the gloves. I have the beanie. I love that freaking beanie. I mean, what else are you guys branching out into? Because you, you do some stuff with the leather too, right? I mean, is that your company or are you, you bringing in? Yeah, that's, we, we're doing, we're doing some boots and we, we're actually, and truthfully, you know, when I say we make stuff, we have a lot of partners. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Fox River Mills does, does most of our socks. Newberry does some of our gloves. The knitting mill down in Austin does a lot of our, our knitwear. So we partner with people. We provide the materials and, and some of the design work and we come up with something that works. But yeah, we're, we're doing pistol cases, rifle cases. We've got these really nice AR cases with, you know, bison leather trim and such done, done for us here in Fort Worth by a company called African Game. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just trying, trying to use more of it. And as we kind of learn the benefits, the values, the, the good properties, we find things that just all of a sudden make some sense. This year we started making dog beds of all things because again, it's, it's insulating, it's durable, it's resilient. It's by the time we've got it scoured, it's scent free. It just, just works for a good hunting dog bed. I'm looking on your site of you guys in the, uh, in the media here. And it seems like you've gotten some pretty decent coverage. It looks like you were on the show alone. Um, well, we weren't, but there's, there's been a couple of the matter of fact, the, a couple of guys that have, have won have been wearing our gear. And that's mm-hmm. just, I mean, I'll tell you that talk about something that is humbling and mind blowing is these people that are out doing amazing things and they want to use your stuff. I think, I think it's the idea of our teams that are running. Yeah. I mean, we, we're very ordinary people, but man, we have some cool friends that yeah. do some neat stuff. Are you, are you yeah. working at all with Dallas CV? Um, no, we, we, we're not. We, we know we've met him once. Um, we work more with the, the Reddingtons and Nick mm-hmm. Pettit and, Hunter Keith. Again, we just we yeah we we just help sponsor the the junior junior Iditarod and they and they put a pair of socks in for the kids in their emergency pack and then they're wearing them with their insoles. The three hundred that ran yeah last week. I've lost track of track of the races, but um, yeah, it's really hard to pick. You know, one guy that you want to support them all. It's such a cool sport. I mean, and. It's one of the things that there's no prize money. These guys are not getting famous. There's not enough prize money to feed their dogs in these sports. So they need all the help. All of them need all the help they can get. I've never met anyone who's just not an amazing, wonderful person who. Right. So the goal is when you send a box of, of the stuff out, there's enough even for the judges that are out there, you know, at the checkpoints to make sure they're taken care of too. How old are these juniors? 14, um, 14 to 17. I'm on the, I'm on the website right now. Junior started at 12, I think. And then before they, before they go to this race, there's the 100. So, so you've got kids running a hundred miles and then they work into 300 miles. Then they work their way up to this thousand mile run. Yeah. You know, my experience with the Iditarod, I've never been on an actual dog sled other than in the summertime when people wonder like, what do the dogs do in the summertime? Because the dogs are as much of the athletes as the, as the musher. And I met Dallas CV with my buddy, uh, Justin Chimino, Harry Hill, Big John, and Liam Hoffman. There were five of us. Oh, and then, oh God, I'm, uh, Chad. Yeah, that's his real name, by the way, Chad. Uh, so there, there were a bunch of us that went up on to Alaska and we did the dog mushing in the summer where you're on the wheeled cart and the dog runs around right, the track. Right, up in Del Keaton at the CV's Iditarod. Yeah, that, that's exactly the one. And and by the yeah. way, I... Again, they're such cool folks. And, and honestly, one of the things that was really, really awesome, and it let me know exactly like what type of person the CV's were. My buddy, George Frannick, he's a, a sergeant in my hometown. Uh, his daughter, Paisley, was like, here, here's a, here's a stuffed animal dog named Tracker from Paw Patrol. And she goes... 
you know, she tracker reminds me of you. Cause like tracker wears a big safari hat and I wear a Tilly hat. So, uh, I told George, I'm like, Hey George for Paisley, what I'm going to do is when I go to Alaska, I'm going to put Paisley and all these, or I'm going to put a uh, tracker in all these different places. And I, I said to Dallas Evie, right? Like I'm a nobody. I go, Hey Dallas, could you do a video for this little girl with the stuffed animal dog and have like two of your champion dogs next to you? He goes, Oh, 100% man. Like I, I love that. It sounds like salt to the earth guy, nicest guy in the world. And, uh, you know, he's like, Hey Paisley, this is, you know, I'm, I'm here with tracker. Oh, do you think tracker would be ready to run the Iditarod? And the dogs are like jumping all over him. Like what a cool, cool dude. I want to get him on the podcast. So if you guys know Dallas and you want to give him my information, please do. Cause I want to interview him, but let's, I want to talk about this junior Iditarod thing. And, and you guys are like the perfect people for it. Like the fact that they've got these kids that are preteens and they're not even adults yet. And they're running an Iditarod. I mean, that's the toughness that I think this generation needs, not the, you know, oh my gosh, I need a safe spot. Like they're running through the wilderness where, I mean, it, it's harsh. It's freaking cold. Um, <laughs> it's a hundred miles for the, for the juniors. And the juniors are like six to 10. And they run with one dog. <laughs> it's and one dog. They have, yeah. yeah, there's, there's, like I said, there's different categories, but the, the junior, the, the one dog races, I mean, they start with a 20, I think there's a 20 mile one dog race and, uh, yeah, this is the toughness that we need. And this is the whole reason for our new, like I said, the Red Dog Kids brand that we're hopefully going to be launching next month. There's kids that are out there doing this stuff. And one of the things I love about mushing in general is mm-hmm. the fact that everybody that you meet is going to respond like Dallas does. They're just mm-hmm. nice folks. I mean, they're, they're passionate and they're driven and they, they're doing it because they love it, not because they're going to get rich doing it. Um, but yeah, the, these kids are are there's no exceptions for, you know, male, female, disabled, handicapped, sighted, blind. When you're competing in mushing, you're going like age group, if it's the juniors or by mm-hmm. the time you get to, you know, the, the full thing, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter who you are, what you are. And like you said, the dogs are the athletes. I mean, it's, it's the training and patience and time and, and work that you put in with them, but everybody competes on an equal playing field. And I think that's pretty cool because there's, you know, there's not a men's and women's division. Right. Yeah. Nate, mother nature doesn't discriminate, right? She hates everyone. And in our, right. you gotta our- be tough. There's, <laughs> there is no, there's no BSing in this. It is real. You are out there for a thousand miles by yourself with your dogs. Yeah. Well, I- and they have a satellite radio, but I'm not going to pull his name quickly. He's the one that got the humanitarian award for stepping back and helping a mushroom last year in one of the storms. Yeah. In the middle of the night. So, you know, it, it's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People yeah. being real. Now, that's I- why we love it. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I love the fact that you guys are so intertwined with all these different things, right? Like Clay Haynes uh, or Hayes, the guy that won alone, you know, supporting little old me when I was in Alaska, you know, and then, you know, working with these guys are in the Iditarod and getting back to the the very real thing. You guys went to the Galapagos Islands, right? If I remember correctly, that's when you're talking about the turtles. It's not just like a local pond with painted box turtles. You guys actually went to the Galapagos. Like I said, we, we like to dive and T takes pictures of everything. Yeah. So. I like to jump off the face of the earth. That was a good place. Where's the next place that you're going to, you're, you're thinking about? Like, cause it seems like you're going to these very remote places. And I, I love the fact that you're able to, I mean, where, where's the dream destination? I'm working right now on La Paz. Really? La Paz, yeah. Yeah. It's it's that rooster fish, taking dad and Ron fishing. But for me, it's the whale shark and scuba diving and trying to get an underwater photo of of that guy 
which has to be very difficult considering you need to be pretty far back to capture the whole thing, you know? And, uh, uh God, I mean, whale sharks are, are massive. I mean, how do you keep the whole thing in focus? I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. I have a lot of luck. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I have a lot of luck. we're not professionals or anything. We're just out trying to go see the world and have Capturing fun. moments. There's a lot of cool stuff out there that we turn blind eyes to. And- so now something that really was impressive and something that we, we talked about before. And at one point we thought about doing this at Fieldcraft Survival. We entertained the idea of doing the vending machine in the airport. But instead of doing a vending machine in the airport, we were going to do a vending machine at a shooting range and we were going to supply the shooting range with, you know, our tourniquets, our med kits. So when people went to the shooting range, they could put in the money and then it would supply out. You guys actually at the, was it the Anchorage airport? You had the vending machine, which I thought this was such a brilliant idea that would dispense socks. And at first you're like, oh, you know, who would really buy that? But when people land and they realize, oh, it's colder than I thought it was, you know, you go in and you get your socks right there. How does that whole system work? Um, it was interesting. Uh, again, there are not a lot of good vending machines built to deliver socks. So we modified a basic snack machine, put a video kiosk that had a access to our website. So you can kind of touch screen and, and read around and read reviews and study and such. And it, we had it there for three years. Mm-hmm. We pulled it. We had to pull them out at the beginning of COVID because there, again, there was some logistical things trying to trying to test pilot a program that's 6,000 miles away and behind security <laughs> is probably not the best way to test pilot a program. But it got us it got us mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, got a lot of attention. We sold a bunch of socks. But I it was, it was great. I mean, you know, when you logistically put the vending machine across from the North Slope guys flying out. Yeah, so. there's a lot of guys <laughs> that fly out to the oil fields and, you know, last minute purchase of socks. Right, so it was right. useful. We, we were, again, we're a very, very small company. We don't have staff and that's sort of been sort of part of our, our plan is to n- not really, you know, have too many employees and such, but it worked out. It worked out for a while, but they're currently sitting in my workshop. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone wants to buy a vending machine that they could retrofit. If anyone wants a sock vending machine yeah. with really cool touchscreen thing, yeah, I've got a couple of them. Man, but I mean, it's such a cool concept though, because like that would send you like through Wi-Fi or GPS uh, not GPS, but Wi-Fi, like the status of how many pairs of socks are left over, right? I mean, it was something that would give you real-time inventory. And if there was an issue, you could send someone out there. I mean, what a great way to do business and it, it expand. Worked pretty, it worked out pretty well. Again, servicing it inside the airport requires somebody who has security clearance and things like that. So there were logistical issues, but overall, it was nice. Overall, it was a great success. And odds are they would still be there if it was a COVID. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and since then, we just we would love to place them. But we right now, I don't know what happened with prior to COVID. We were on the road about 45 weeks a year, every hunting show, outdoor show, you know, all, all across everywhere. We'd be out selling socks. COVID hit. No more shows. But whatever happened, the website just blew up. We had bought a little mini ranch and we're out here LARPing as farmers and homesteaders and filling orders from the ranch. We can't keep up at the moment, which is a glorious problem to have. And it's a nice flex, but I haven't had any need to go put the machines anywhere. I mean, what was the, I mean, would you say that that was the, 
biggest hurdle during COVID or did you have others? Um, no, there were, you know, everyone had others. We were very, we were blessed. We were lucky. We had outgrown our small house in town and that we had our truck and we have a couple of big trucks that we use for, for moving product around and hauling stuff, going to events. Right prior to COVID, we bought this little ranch, not knowing what was going on and or what, was, you know, not knowing what was coming. And then all of a sudden, when when it hit, it just worked out perfectly. It was actually cheaper for us to buy a ranch with a horse barn, turn it into a warehouse, than it was to go get a commercial property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my desk is 12 steps away from my bed and my warehouse is 37 steps out the door. Oh, that's so nice. Being able to work from home. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get a chance to do that. You know, I as a writer, I can sit anywhere with my laptop and, and get the job done. That That's like the American dream, I think. You know, people say it's the the house with the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and, you know, the golden retriever and a jar of lemonade with actual lemon slices in it. But I think just having that ability to, to say, you know, I don't need to go into an office. My house is my office. And it seems like you guys take so much satisfaction out of it where you don't associate the annoyances of work sometimes with being home, you know, like you guys enjoy everything about it. Well, a, you know, staying busy helps. The fact that, you know, I look up, I'm sitting here looking at our window right now and I can see our, our little longhorn and her calf and a couple of pigs running around in the yard and Ted watched the, the chickens going scavenging for bugs this morning. It's a, it, it was a big change for our life, but worked out amazingly well. There's a balance, but I love it. So, you know, you take a phone call on a Saturday night or a Sunday night at 10 o'clock or you wake up in the middle of the night and want to go to work, get something done because it's quiet and you get it done. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you can adjust your eight hour work day. If you're up at five yeah. for whatever reason, you tap out a little bit early. You know, it. as long as the job is getting done, it's like big boy rules or big girl rules. Just get and the you, job and done. you have to think differently. It's not a Monday through five, you know, eight to five job. It's, it's you know, you're, mm-hmm. on, you're on call and you just work it. You work through it. And a couple of things we've done is, you know, we don't, we haven't outsourced things like customer service. When somebody calls, they get me or T. <laughs> It is, and we love that contact with with the customers, and you know most of them end up being friends like yourself, and, mm-hmm. and it's just that part's great. So it's not really a job; it's just sort of our life. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have fine lines or distinctions between I'm going to work or not. It's I got to do this. This is what I'm working on now, and yeah, it's and all you, just life. And you guys are proud of your product, right? And it shows. Uh, I mean, you use your product; you're proud of it. You want to get it in the hands of people. You know, before we jumped on the podcast, I said that we started carrying it at the the Fieldcraft headquarters. And I don't know what the status is of the orders out there. I'm kind of disconnected from from them at times. But I remember telling people, you know, in courses, hey, by the way, go out in the store and look at these socks. The best you're going to find. You know, it's cool to see them in, in places like when I travel, you know, see them in like a little boutique or, or see them somewhere. And it's like, oh, people are talking about them, you know, and, and to know that it all goes back to our first encounter when we met and you know, I was like, Hey, by the way, I'm, I'm doing this and this. And you're like, Oh, let, let's send you a care package. And I was like, Oh my God, my feet have never been toastier. Now what's next for you guys? I mean, you're expanding. You said, you mentioned, you have the new line of kids stuff. I mean, do you have a, a plan that goes into other, you know, bison products? I know, I, I mean, I'm not sure if you're planning on doing anything in like the culinary world, if you're offering like bison jerky or anything like that, or are you just going to stick with apparel? Well, we, we actually, we sell the Ute Nation's bison jerky currently. We're not meat producers ourselves, but my God, these guys do a beautiful job and it's an excellent quality product. And we want to support, our, our whole mission is supporting bison ranchers. So we do, and if you ever, anybody's ever looking for meat, we keep a meat 
rancher directory on our website of ranches all across the country because there are people who need to sell meat and that's that's their business model yeah we can connect you to that right we can we can i can tell you where you get a steak any day of the week you know i'm looking at i'm looking at this right now on uh, native america travel or native america dot travel slash listings slash you dash bison and you know there's pictures of the bison jerky in front of monument valley and i didn't realize that that extends that far so yeah that's again another utah connection like fieldcraft um and they're they're just they're wonderful folks and we want to we want to support anybody who wants to put more bison on the land. Um, as far as your actual question about our roadmap and where we're going next, pretty much everything is is just sort of experimentation to see what makes sense. We've got a couple of new product lines coming out that are a little divergent from what we what we've been doing in the past. We we're doing comforters and you know bedspreads and things now. That, well, it's, it's taking the fiber to new to new stretches. So where you have some of the fiber, we don't want to put back in the yarns for the knitted on the hands and the feet and the head still has that value of wicking and the warmth and and natural resources so we put it back into batting we do soil amendment because it's fantastic for your garden as far as um, slow nitrogen release it's great for um, water conservation at the same time when you put it on top of the soil bird nesting Um, we're really trying to use all of it. None of it will ever go to a landfill or right. not, not being utilized. What a stark uh, contrast <laughs> from like the early days of the frontier where it was just the hide and they let the animals rot. You know what I mean? Oh, like, they just what a stark the liver contrast. And, and the, there's a tongue in the liver. And uh, now, now, again, these are a precious resource and it's got to be used intelligently. And we're just trying to figure that out. You know, we don't we don't have all the answers. I'm sitting here looking around around the office and I wish you could kind of see it. There's there's like nine products hanging up that are yeah, yeah. Um, can in under consideration. Vests and sleeping bags. Yeah, we have That's, friends making soaps for us. Oh yeah, the, the bison tallow soaps and candles. Mm-hmm. One of the learning the properties of, of what bison tallow can do for your your skin in terms of regenerating the collagen and, and the absorption. And it's it's just so natural. If someone wanted to put a bison on on their property, how much acreage does a typical bison need in captivity like that depends on, on where you are depends on that grassland. <laughs> yeah it's, you can always go to your county extension agent and they will kind of tell you what your land is rated for in terms of units per acre and a unit is one one cow or one one buffalo typical is about an acre per animal if you've got good you know reasonably good grass you get farther out west and you might need five to ten acres to support an animal annually and then it's also if you're going to supplement with hay or, or bringing in inputs. But on a sustainability basis, Connecticut, let's say about an animal per acre. Mm-hmm. You want one? Uh, I would listen. Uh, I, I don't I currently don't have the, the means to put one in the backyard, but <laughs> I would put one in the freezer. Um, there, you go. <laughs> so, there you go. Oh, man. Now, you said you were going to do blankets. Are you talking like the, the weighted blankets, like the ones that are like 25 pounds and they kind of like hold you in place when you sleep and, and people rave about um, them? I feel like it's like a like a midget, like choking you all night. Um, <laughs> no, these are these are a little different. We basically make duvet comforter types, okay. and it's a blend bison down blended with wool. Seventy percent bison and thirty percent wool. And they're in a you know really nice high thread count cotton picking. Mm-hmm. Hand hand teat. So yeah, hand quilted. So yeah, there's a lap blanket that is a good size lap blanket. It covers covers, covers me completely, yeah. and I'm a good size guy, but it. Again, it's insulative, it breathes, and bison fiber desorbs moisture. It actually will pull that sweat away from you 
as you're sleeping so you don't get clammy or, or sweaty or hot or cold. And it natural fibers self-regulate. They mm-hmm. don't let you get sweaty like synthetics do. You don't get that bacterial buildup on your skin. So it's, so, so we work into summer socks too. Yeah, and we, we and we do athletic socks now for for summer runners, joggers, hikers, golfers. Yeah, man. Well, I'll tell you, you, you guys are, are are right where you need to be. You you tapped into the right markets, and uh, I think your products are are second to none. I, I really mean that, and I'm not just saying that because you know I've used them for so long. I'm saying that because I've talked to other people who have used them after I've recommended them, or they found them independently, and we all are just in agreement. It's like. There, there are Thank some. You, man. I, again, it's people like you that have gotten us to where we're going, and you know we're going to continue it. You know, as, as we learn more and you learn more and figure out what makes sense. And, and we got to get together at some point. I'll, I'll see if I can drag Glover down to Texas, and you know we'll do a, a hunt. And I promise I'll keep his toes as covered as I can. Uh, you know, just, <laughs> yes, please, let's do it. You know, that, I mean, it's typical. Like you will probably see his toes at some point in the weekend. Just shield your eyes from them. You know, like it's like hiding a child's <laughs> eyes from a horror movie. But uh, no, I mean, we should we should definitely do a hunt. You know, maybe go after after some invasives down there, and you know, we'll we'll have some fun. But uh, in the meantime, where can people find you? Um, we're online at the, the buffalowolco.com. You can find us at the Fieldcraft store in Heber City, Utah. Mm-hmm. You can find us in Yellowstone National Park. If you're deployed, you might have a chance of getting some of our stuff. Um, other than that, we, we, yeah. we don't really wholesale. We don't. There's just not enough of this available. So you can find us at a couple of bison ranches around the country. Pretty much any bison rancher that has a ranch store. Now, you said yeah. you if, if you're deployed, do you guys like do some type of, you know, buy a pair for a veteran? Like that type of program? Um, well, actually, we, we do that for Veterans Day and such, but no, we we do fulfill some small military contracts. That's outstanding. Yeah. You guys do it all. Oh, it's been a long day here. You know, it was good to, to end up wrapping up today on a, on a high note, talking to you guys and, and laughing a little bit. And, you know, I've still got that experimental top that you sent me, which, by the way, I don't know if you want to go with those colors. They are a little funky, like. <laughs> well, if you're hunting, that's a, it's one, you know, Good. if you're hunting in Pennsylvania, that was, the, that was that color scheme. We've, we've done those in olive and, and, and the Navy. Navy. We, yeah. We get, we can get you a, a less uh, <laughs> okay. colored. I should, I should, I should do the before and after and post that and like, <laughs> let, pe- let no, people it's... figure out and maybe I'll, maybe I'll sell that other one or, or send it back, you know, sell it for charity. It, give, it, give it to Mike Tom, put it on his feet. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Extra, extra warm for his feet. So, well, Ron, Teresa, thank you so much. Teresa, thank you for jumping on too. It's, it's good to, to hear you. You know, I mean, it was, it was a surprise. I didn't expect to have both of you guys on here, but it, that's how I know both of you. I don't just say, Oh, talk to Ron at Buffalo wool. I don't just say, talk to Teresa. I say, talk to Ron and Teresa, you know, like <laughs> that's how I know you guys. So it's, it was awesome that it actually worked out that way. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much. We always love talking to you and that we're going to hold you to that hunting thing. I, oh, I hope you do. I hope you do. Cause my last hunting trip to Texas resulted in, you know, me freezing the state, bringing it from, from the North, you know, but, uh, I'll get back to Texas soon. I guarantee. Right. So stay well, on. I'm getting better with my bow. So we, we well, basically take whitetails off the front porch. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that really hunting at that point? I don't know, but. No, uh, it's not. Like, so, don't do it. Let's go chase hogs. That'd be fun. That's what I want to do. And, and, I, and I would love to get into a helicopter and do that whole pork chopper thing where you're shooting hogs from the, from the sky. Um, <laughs> that'll be another trip, another, another bucket list item, but, uh, stay on after we get off here and we'll, we'll catch up a little bit more, but guys, thank you so much for listening to the field crafts for all podcast. I've been your host, Kevin Estello with Ron and Teresa from the Buffalo wool company, and we will see you next time.